Well, welcome to the Jesus Culture Podcast. As always, great to have you with us. We got a good one today. It's we have be a good fantastic. one today. It is so good that we had to bring in Derek Johnson. That's right. The the master producer Woo-hoo. of the podcast yes. is now co- every producer of a podcast really just wants to take Eventually. over at some point. Well, if you listen to so if you working. listen to sports radio at all, which you don't, uh, there's something called sports radio, Derek, <laughs> where people uh, talk about sports. And so um, that's fascinating. I know, isn't wow. that interesting? So uh, there's 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 other people talk about sports. Like you listen to Joe Rogan a lot. Maybe they have this. <laughs> Do they have a producer that chimes in on Joe Rogan every once in a while? Yeah, his name is Young Jamie. Okay, that's, there you yeah, go. So, yeah, so so on all the sports shows, they have like a producer who also has a mic and he'll weigh in. Yeah. We just need to start having you yeah, do that. Yeah, they never give me a mic, all you listeners. I'm always here. I have funny things to yes, say, you but totally they don't do. give me a mic. So. You have witty What I really want is it. to give I really want to give Derek one of those boards where he gets to make like weird sounds <laughs> yes. like right in the middle. You know what like I mean? A morning like a show. Yeah. So we brought Derek on this podcast because what we're going to be talking about today, Derek actually has a pretty deep passion for. In fact, this topic it's today, it's like Jesus, his wife and kids, then this theme that we're talking about today. Would you agree? It's That's maybe music right. yeah. and then this. Yeah, maybe. It's maybe. in that category. So we'll jump into that in just a moment. So Derek, great to have you with us yes. as a co-host oh, today. Excited to be here. Out from the thing, as always, we've got Phil all the way from not just Atlanta, but Smyrna, Smyrna, mm-hmm. Georgia. Smyrna. Good to have you out Smyrna. there just crushing, pastoring churches and uh, coming out of quarantine and COVID <laughs> and everything else. It's true. And, and I just want to say the truth is, Derek, we just miss Becky. So yeah, since we can't have her I'm, right I'm now, really we just not. decided to, we just, you know, tapped in and said, let's yeah. get some Derek in here. I'm the next best be great. thing, but yeah. The next yeah. best thing. And then we have a brand new co-host with us today, Anthony Skinner, all the way from Nashville. Woo-hoo. Anthony, great to have you with us today. You guys are family, man. This is awesome getting to be with you. I feel like I should apologize right off the bat, though, for having to jump in on, on especially the first part, which is banter that has nothing to do with anything at all. <laughs> well, I think we, I, I said earlier, but uh, you may have missed this. Instead of young Jamie with Joe Rogan, I think we called Derek Handsome Derek. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I'll take it. it. See, this That's is it. why Handsome Anthony Derek. is my favorite guest of <laughs> all time. Not, not just because we share uh, an Enneagram type or are both songwriters yes. and worship leaders, but because he calls me handsome Derek so I so listen thank you here's why Anthony Anthony who is a friend and um and we've known each other for a long time now but you do you have those friends that they started out a little bit as kind of uh you know a a little bit fanboy with so when we were first in like when I was first really encountering God those first few years renewal was happening Toronto had broken out it was happening in Reading and we were just encountering God and there was a handful of worship leaders in my 20s that that like in my private time with the Lord, their CDs just wrecked me. Still to this day, yeah. mm-hmm. I think David Ruiz, I've never met, but if I met him, I would totally be a little bit like, I wouldn't know what to say. Right. I'd be like a little giddy. Yes. Like I, be, because just like, you know, you look, th- those are those really foundational years. Well, before I really ever officially knew Anthony, that was it, man. He had a, he had some CDs and some songs and I was just, my, it's both, both CJ and I, both. We're like really, really so. So still this day, there's a little bit of that. Yeah. I look over there at the screen and see Anthony, and I'm like, oh, no, this is, Anthony, this Anthony is, is this is my guy. He's, he's one of the goats uh, because so, this is this is like for anybody who's listened to like the original recording of "I Love Your Presence." Oh, he tags yes, tags David Gray in was there, that which even I was allowed? like, that is the coolest thing anyone has ever <laughs> done in worship ever. 
And then I got to sing a David Gray, you know, chorus in church. It was amazing. So That's Anthony, amazing. Anthony breaking new grounds still. Well, I love your presence. The thing about that song for me is there are certain songs that you can never end them because it feels wrong. Yeah. Have you yeah. been in those worship sets oh, yeah. where like, if we sing, if we stop singing this, it feels like we're going to quench the spirit <laughs> and I just want to keep singing it. Uh, what made you put that tag on? And did you have to pay a lot of money or is it like, if it's a, if it's only like seven seconds, you don't have to, or what's that rule? No, I got a license for it. It was just something that I was doing a lot when I led live, I would just borrow different songs, you know, and, and, uh, mix it up. So that just is what came out. <laughs> sort of a spontaneous good. thing. Did you get any flack for it, for bringing a secular song into it? Yeah. I can't remember the word <laughs> that was used, but I definitely, I got some press that was, uh, you know, it was like, they kind of crucified me a little bit. I, it was, it was pretty intense, but I can't remember the, you know. Anthony, let me tell you, because Phil here grew up in uh, Pentecostal Idaho, Iowa. I always get it mixed up. Mm -hmm. Pentecostal Idaho. Either one. (laughs) And they really wanted to redeem culture, so they would take songs and then just put Christian lyrics to them. And so uh, his best story ever is when they took Boys to Men. What what was the song they took? I'll Make Love to You. That's what makes it so great. <laughs> they took, they, they took, changed, they changed it to I will, I will worship you. I will worship you oh, like God. you want me to. Oh, Jesus, no. hold me oh, tight. No. I remember there. I remember being a fifteen-year-old thinking, <laughs> "We are singing I'll Make Love to You to Jesus." How am I the only one in the room who yeah. who doesn't see how wrong this is? Like I was. It was, and then, by the way, what makes this night even better is we country line danced in the spirit for nearly an hour. Oh, <laughs> like I, I cannot, I cannot put language around what these moments were like. You, if you, you have to literally travel yeah, that's, around, that's too much culture blending happening right there. Pentecostal's oh, going on. But. Small town Idaho from the eighties. Oh my goodness! It, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, Martin Luther was known to take uh, to take you know famous pub songs and. Put, <laughs> And put some Christian lyrics to it, but I think he did a little better than that. <laughs> I, oh, I just want to be there with fifteen-year-olds oh, singing, yeah. a, which a great voice to man. Great, like, great song. It also hey, ruins oh, the song. Yeah, it's, I'll never hear it the same never again. I, hear it the have same you guys again. ever noticed that in the Pentecostal sort of experience, charismatic experience? Like it's just like. If you're late to the party, you're like, what a bunch of bozos, you know, but if you get there early enough to start drinking in the spirit, you know, it's like, this is the best party ever. Yeah. Yes. You're all in. Right. Oh. It's going to be the early adopter. Uh, let me ask this yeah. real quick, Anthony. This, you're going to, okay, you're on here. We're not, this isn't even what the podcast is about. We're actually going to be talking about the Enneagram today. <laughs> it's not all about redeemed boys to and, men songs. And I do need to say this see. off the top real quick that we actually, uh, we've partnered, Juice Culture Podcast Network has actually partnered with World Vision and uh, we've been sharing this the last few uh, podcasts. We're actually really excited about this. Yeah. We've actually been praying into and talking about having a partner with the, across the podcast network, the Jesus Culture Podcast, Authentic You Podcast, Man Camp, Sermon of the Week, Pastors Podcast, cool. to have a partner. And so World Vision, we're partnering with them. And uh, listen, you can go back and listen, but I can spend uh, uh, an hour right now telling you that I, I deeply believe every believer has to be engaged yeah. in taking care of the poor of the earth. And so partnering with organizations like World Vision who are on the front line, and they're, they're doing healthcare and they're doing food and education and just, just a quality of life for these kids out there. They've got a program you'll hear in the middle of the episode today called Chosen. And so you want to check it out. 
But Anthony, let me ask this real quick because we were actually having this conversation. I've been going back a little bit and listening to some of the old, uh, the early 90s kind of vineyard. And uh, you were around back in these days. How um, there were songs in those days that were so cheesy, but somehow we just loved them and sang them. And so the song that I think of, and do you remember the song Hop on the Bus? No. So, so oh my gosh, well, it's gonna, <laughs> Vineyard had a song full on on one of their main albums called Hop on the Bus. And it was like talking about the hop on the bus of the move of God or something like that. <laughs> and we'd sing it and it was a fast song. Do you ever look back at some of the songs you wrote though and went, that was so cheesy, but like, so maybe you were never that because he was more the Kevin Prosh kind of. Yeah, I mean, he's thrown in David Gray. It was probably was, all cool. Okay, let me ask this. Did you ever back <laughs> then look around and go, this is so cheesy. Why are we singing this? Um, I mean, I, I have those feelings sometimes with some stuff that I'm writing even like now. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Always trying to avoid the cheese. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, there were, I remember like back in the day, cause we would make up songs on the, you know, back when we had <laughs> the foundry in Nashville, we would literally write the songs during the set that night. Right. So we were all songwriters and producers and we would just, that's just how we got our songs. And there was some, yeah, there was some pretty silly stuff we did, but you know, was, was, was right for the moment, but not right to, uh, it, to just, yeah. it, did, it didn't have yeah, longevity, yeah. but I was encountering God in the middle of it, man. I really was like, we were so, hopped on the bus. Oh, I hopped. <laughs> I've never gotten, I've never gotten off the bus. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, and, and you look back and you're kind of like, ah, it's kind of cheesy, but it was so much joy in the room. It's one mm -hmm. of those things where you're like, well, if you weren't there, you won't really understand, but there was yeah. so much joy, so much celebration, so much like we're just. So Benning, hey. here's what I want to happen now. I want you to spend time with the Lord and he's just like, Benning, I will break revival out, and but you have to put Hop on the Bus on your next album. And <laughs> revival will, it's an act of breaking. I just want to see it. No, listen, this is a true story, guys. The reason when I was um, youth pastoring and we had like Chris Kilala and a couple other guys were, I mean, they're just like late teens, early 20s. And, and I would wrestle with them so much that like, guys, we have to, to sing something that's not melancholy. Like right. they, they were all listening to like Muse or what, or, yeah. or uh, I don't even know the bands, but all these like indie underground kind of like, and I was trying to tell them, I'm like, guys, listen, there has to be some type of an on-ramp. So like, let's just, let's have an on-ramp. And so this was when Hillsong United was first starting. Mm -hmm. But they, and so it was kind of like, I'm going to read my word and I'm going to worship. That was Hillsong United's first stuff. And I'm like, can we sing this song? But for them as an artist, it felt mm -hmm. just like a betrayal. Like it was like I was asking them to sing Britney Spears <laughs> at worship. Like they were not true to who they are as an artist and as a creative. Oh, yeah. So they would want to start to set out with obsession. <laughs> like It's right. like Wednesday night youth group and the first song is just yeah. obsession. And I'm like, can we have an on-ramp? <laughs> Can we like get to obsession? But they just wanted this like moody, melancholy, because mm. that's who they were as an artist. Do you write, like, that's probably you, Anthony. You probably need me in your life. Well, see, that, that, this is exactly why today's topic is so relevant. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure you're running into some what we call Enneagram fours, type fours. Uh -huh. And uh, needed to express their uniqueness. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out those as, as melancholy, yeah. 
totally. totally. All right, well, we're going to jump into this then because this was, I remember going like, guys, come on, man. This is like, <laughs> these are, <laughs> and they just felt so like, so unauthentic. Mm. How could you ask me to sing Britney Spears? You'll know they've had a moment of breakthrough when they can lead the fast song. Yes, that's it. Totally. That's, that's the metric. That's, that's how you know. Metric. Hey, they found it. They've done it. All right, listen, we're going to jump into a conversation about the Enneagram. We've been spending every, uh, we're spending 12 sessions on the podcast talking about leadership. So we're going to do that with Anthony, who is an expert. I think we can say that. Is that right? I don't know if they have degrees at college for this yet, but I would say if there is a degree, Anthony's got one when it comes to Enneagram. We're going to be talking about that first. I want you to hear some more about World Vision and their chosen program. We'll be right back. In the world's most fragile places, devastating aftershocks of the COVID-19 crisis are pushing families deeper into poverty putting kids at greater risk of hunger, malnutrition, violence, and neglect. Child sponsorship is you making a decision to provide $39 a month for a child in their community in extreme poverty to provide the most basic necessities of life. But most importantly, you provide hope. It is one of the most effective ways to help the world's most vulnerable children in their communities address the impacts of this pandemic and lift themselves out of poverty for good, especially now. The reality is thousands of children are waiting to be sponsored, but what you don't know is everything is about to change. For the first time, World Vision is inviting you to empower a child through sponsorship. Yet instead of you choosing them, they choose you, something no organization has ever done before. It doesn't matter who you are, or where in the world you live, every single one of us wants to be seen, to be loved, to be chosen. Put the power to choose in a child's hands and give someone a chance to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Text PODCAST to 56170 and sponsor a child now. All right, well, listen, we're going to jump into a topic. Uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about, and one of the reasons why we brought Anthony in and want to talk about the Enneagram is that if you're going to be a leader, I really do believe you have to be world-class at knowing yourself and knowing others. If you're going to create healthy environments, if you're going to create healthy teams, if you're going to understand how to interact with people, what motivates them, uh, what drains them, what are they scared of, and yourself as well, then you just have to get really good. So we talk about the tools. We talked about this, the disc, the strength finders, the love language. There's a ton of them out there. But we want to actually take one episode and just fully talk about the Enneagram. Yeah. Um, and Derek, you're here because you are an Enneagram apologist. I love it. I love it. Yeah, gospel and then Enneagram. 100%. Yeah, sure. And so, Anthony, you have been doing this. You actually have a podcast on this. And then we also, I want to take a little bit of time, Anthony, and you've got an app uh, that you've been working on that I'd like mm -hmm. to talk about. Um, but can I just start out before we ask any questions about about the Enneagram? Anthony, here's the first question. This is the hard-hitting journalism. This is okay. hard-hitting, like you weren't ready for this. You're on the hot spot. <laughs> Why does the Enneagram feel like a cult? <laughs> This is, a, this is a question. And why does everybody who's into the Enneagram feel like they're part of a cult? And why is the Enneagram symbol feel like the occult? Yeah. Like this is what, so, and listen, I love the Enneagram and I'm like, I'm into the Enneagram, but it's amazing being around people who are really, really into the Enneagram. I'm like, I think you're literally living on a compound in middle Tennessee <laughs> and like part of a cult. 
What is going on right now? So can you first address this issue? Because you're maybe the you're maybe the leader, the supreme leader of this cult. Oh, uh, well, I would say that uh, I think it's such an insightful tool, and it is just that it's a tool. Sure. But I think it is so insightful that it it lights people up, and they're seeing themselves, like you said, sure. kind of in a new way for the first time. And uh, and so they get excited about it, but we need to hold these things loosely. <laughs> no, I, I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic because I actually do. I actually am a fur. I, I really the the enneagram's been extremely helpful, and we've seen it in our team, in my own life, and my wife's life. And so I'm a firm believer. But it is funny every time I'm oh, around yeah. somebody who's like yes. die hard into this thing. I'm like, this feels mm-hmm. like. You know it's not the Bible, yeah, the, right? The like, first, you know there's right, a Bible. Yeah. The first six months of someone discovering the Enneagram should come with a disclaimer. Like, <laughs> hey, they're going to know, they're going to go to all their friends now and tell them what type they are and send you Instagram links and they're going to overdo it for six months and then it's going to find a better rhythm. Uh, yes. But it's, it's very true. It does happen. Uh, I will say this, my favorite, uh, my favorite Instagram account right now is an Enneagram account that has memes and it's just delightful. <laughs> it's my favorite. But Becky, Becky, who is a one, we're going to talk yeah. about all the things. Becky is a one. And she full on is like, okay, I know that I'm not supposed to type people, but you are an eight. You are absolutely an eight. I said, I think I'm a three. Yeah, you're not a three. You're an eight. I know I'm not supposed to type anybody, but I grow, you know, and she's like irritated that I keep saying I'm a three. Yeah. When, and I'm like, Becky, I literally paid money and took a test. I looked at all the things See, that this is I'm why a- we both just want to give you a chapter on the eight and say, okay, you have a weekend. You need to go read this. Maybe we're wrong. This is Maybe why, we're not. This is why it feels like a cult to me. <laughs> I think uh, I think Anthony could uh, confirm this, but I'm pretty sure when people say somebody's an eight and they're not an eight, it's a way of saying I'm frustrated with you right now. Uh huh. Yeah. Probably so. <laughs> I feel run over by you. You're an eight. Yeah. I feel eight. like you're trying to control me. Is what's yeah. happening? Yes. <laughs> All right, Anthony. Here, here's the question I'm going to ask you. Ready? Because I this isn't hard hitting journalism. I'm really for it, but. Uh, you actually have been down this road of Enneagram. I genuinely think it's a great tool. There's, there's a lot of different people that have opinions on it or whatever. Can you just quickly unpack for me, one, why, why it's been such a great tool for you and what it is? Yes. I think there's a lot of people who are like, I don't even know what it is. Can you just kind of unpack that a little bit? We're going to sit back and stop interrupting you like we have been. But um, Oh, no, no, no. This is great. I love this. And I'll, I will use um, a lot of the terminology that we use on typology and that um, – Ian, uh, who, who is the host, I co-host and with him and produce the show, but he's such a great, uh, wordsmith. And I think he's done a really good job of kind of, um, consolidating a lot of the wisdom out there. But before I get to that, like to your point, um, related to leaders, John Calvin said, without knowledge of self, there's no knowledge of God. And for centuries, like the Christian teachers, um, you know, the desert fathers, the people that we're walking on the shoulders of, uh, they considered knowing yourself just as important as knowing God because it was the pathway to knowing God. So um, a lot of times today you hear people saying, you know, this is just feel good psychology, but actually it's, it's good theology. Yeah. I'm going to, you're going to, okay. I'm going to have about 20 follow-up questions every time you say something, probably. How does that not lead to weird uh, honestly, because I actually believe what you're talking about is healthy. I would agree with you. W- yeah. What what would be the safeguards around that thing from people just not fully going? I, I, d- d- does there need to be safeguards? I, I mean, that's an honest question for me. Um, yeah, I think the more you really discover yourself, it's like 
the more you discover yourself, it's kind of like the more you get into, um, the more educated you are like on creation and design. It's like, how can you not mm. a spirit of wonder and mm. worship ultimately, you know, uh, bloom out of that. So, uh, I think that's kind of where they're coming from. The more, you know, yourself, you realize, oh, I'm made in the image, the Imago Dei of God, a loving, caring God. So I love that. And Anthony, you guys have a phenomenal tagline at the top of the typology podcast, which uh-huh. is the looking, looking at the, how, how does it say the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram? Yeah. Which is, yeah. which is kind of a fantastic way to frame it, that there is almost this awe and wonder of the uniqueness of God's creation in people. And then using this tool that kind of is superimposed on that to help dissect it as best we can. But um, yes. also it's a really cool way that you guys frame that on the show. Uh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that Enneagram is like an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world. One of which we all gravitate to each of us gravitate to one of those nine in order to, um, and we do this in childhood, right? The, you know, early childhood in order to cope and feel safe in the world. Right. And what happens is each type develops an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how each type, uh, habitually and predictably acts, thinks and feels in the world. So it, it, the, the thing that's really cool about the Enneagram, and I'm going to go through each of the types really quickly and give a little overview, but the thing that's really helpful about the Enneagram is it reveals not just your strengths, but your shadow mm. and things like strength finders. I mean, who doesn't want to take a test like strength finders, totally. right? <laughs> here's, what I'm, here's what I'm amazing <laughs> at. That's right. But the Enneagram will show you, um, you know, some of your hidden motivations, uh, which is really helpful for growth, right? Okay, so I'm going to blaze through these, okay? So one's conscientious, ethical, meticulous, detail-oriented. They have a strong sense of right and wrong. They're motivated by a need to be good. So they're driven by this need to be good. Their strategy to meet this need is they perfect themselves, they perfect others and the world, and they try their best to avoid mistakes, blame, and criticism. And you know, we like to call them the improvers, not the perfectionists. So, because they really do, they improve the world around us. And I'll say, I'll go ahead and throw this in. They show us the goodness and the righteousness of God. That's one of the beauty, beautiful things about, about the one. So onto the two, the, the sometimes referred to as the helper, we call the defender. There's twos can make a friend like nobody's business. They have like a, a doctor's degree in, uh, and friend making, but, uh, they're empathetic, warm-hearted, caring, motivated by a need to be liked like it's really important for them to be liked where as where the one wants to be good the two wants to be liked their strategy for getting this need met is to meet the needs of others and they will disavow their own needs in the process ignore their own needs in the process the three uh the performer or achiever let's see if this rings uh rings home right I'm here. already i already feel uh, like i'm about to go out in the spirit <laughs> <laughs> Threes are success. The thing is, is uh, whatever you are, I know you're healthy. So sometimes the it doesn't always like, oh, that's not me. Threes are success-oriented, image-conscious. They're wired for productivity. I mean, they grind. Threes grind. They're motivated by need to be admired. So they want to be admired by others. Where the one wants to be good, the two wants to be like the threes want to be admired. Their strategy to get this need met is to achieve success. They... Um, they really cultivate the appearance of success and they avoid 
mistakes. They threes typically aren't really big risk takers. So um, fours, let me get on to fours. Fours are creative, sensitive, moody, melancholy, self-indulgent. Are you a four? <laughs> Is Derek a four? <laughs> self-indulgent. <laughs> Let's all stare at you. Every, <laughs> you described every worship leader in the United yeah, States. All right? the worship like leaders. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> every pastor is an eight and a three leading a four. So hold on a second, Anthony. Keep going with the four. Let's all stare at Derek while he describes a self-indulgent four. Go ahead. Go back to four. Four is... Yeah, fours typically feel like they're on the outside looking in. They're motivated by a need to be seen, uh, you know, and to belong. Really important for them to belong. They they always feel like they're on the outside looking in. Typically, right? That's kind of at the core, uh, a core sort of underlying feeling they have. And their strategy to get this need met, this need to be to belong, is they you know they try to be really special or unique. So you, you can a lot of times you know potentially spot fours with like, they're always wearing the colors or something yeah. kind of crazy going on with totally. them, you know? Um, fives. Fives are analytical, detached, private. They're motivated by a need to conserve energy. They'll hoard their energy. They have a real scarcity mindset around energy. Um, they want to avoid appearing inept and they'll fend off feeling overwhelmed uh, and drained uh, by a world that feels intrusive. They, they will... Um, people that were retreat. It's funny on the show, we've had several fives on and, and more than once when, when they come on camera, they're in this tiny little room surrounded by books, you know, it's hilarious. <laughs> Classic five. Uh, their strategy to get this need met is they want to gain knowledge. Um, they withdraw into isolation and they avoid relying on other people. Sixes. The six is committed, practical, and witty. Sixes usually have a killer sense of humor. They're motivated by a need to feel safe and secure and supported in a world that feels unpredictable and frightening. So a lot of, they experience a lot of fear. That's actually their passion is fear. Uh, their strategy to get this need met is they plan and mentally rehearse what they'll do in worst case scenarios. Like if you're ever in a jam or, or you have an emergency, having a six around is the best thing that can happen because they've already thought through I all the worst I saw case this scenarios. coming. I've been trying to <laughs> totally. tell you that this was coming. Oh, emergency, emergency preparedness yes, kit? Totally, I have totally. one right here. Yeah. One time we interviewed a, a six on the show and we were joking around talking about uh, getting on a plane and she said, oh, I know all the stats of oh you know, my who, who dies if you sit in front of the back. <laughs> oh my and she's, gosh. She's actually a nurse and she says, I always ask, do you have the medical bag and what is in the medical oh bag? Oh my <laughs> <joke>. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So uh, three more sevens, fun, spontaneous, adventurous. Sevens are motivated by a need to avoid pain. They want to avoid pain at all costs. And that's even sometimes like a serious conversation. Like if you, if you come in on a, and I can talk about this later. Well, actually I'll say it now. Like my daughter is a seven, right? And uh, my son is a six. Oh, Justice, who is my son, the six, he loves to have deep conversations, right? But he'll like come into their room and he'll just start talking about something and it's real serious and he'll just want to just, and, and you feel it's like, you know, it's just like, this is going to go on for, for quite a while, like on and on and on. So for May, it's like, she'll start to panic in those situations. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'm trapped. Right. <laughs> and so game changer for them, justice. Listen, when you're talking to me, just say, Hey, can I have 15 minutes of your time? 
I just want to talk about something and it is real serious, but just for 15 minutes. And she knows, oh, there's an end yes. in sight. She's cool. Yeah, let's do it. Right. So their strategy for meeting their need of avoiding pain is pursuing happiness, planning, stimulating experiences. They're always about the next thing, the next funny thing that's going to happen, the next adventure that's going to happen. And they like thinking about all the unlimited possibilities out there. They don't like to be really present and stuck in the moment. That's amazing. Um, they they reveal the joy of God. I mean, sevens are amazing. Uh, eights, commanding, intense, confrontational. They're motivated by a need to be strong and in control. Uh, they get this need met by asserting strength and power over their environment. And they, they have a real tender heart, but they mask their vulnerability with a real rough exterior. I had a conversation with an eight last night. If you had been listening like over the fence, you would have thought that this guy was about ready to throw punches, but it was just an eight <laughs> communicating, you know, totally. it was just the eight expressing his feelings, totally. but it sounds like, uh, almost like dangerous sometimes, like something <laughs> bad is about to happen here, you know, uh, nines, uh, pleasant, laid back, accommodating, um, motivated by a, a real need to maintain inner and outer peace. And, uh, so they're, they're sort of go along to get along. Um, they, you know, manage this need by not asserting themselves. They'll merge with others. They want to avoid conflict. If you're asking a nine, where do you want to go to eat? It'll be like, oh, I don't know, you know, wherever you want to go, you know, whatever you want to do. It's like a nine classic, you know, uh, asleep a lot of times to their own uh, mm. desire. So How, can you, can you explain the wing part for me? I don't understand. I still don't quite understand the wing part. Yes. So your, your wings have to be adjacent to whatever your number is. So if you're okay, three, who made that yeah. rule up? <laughs> Keep going. Sorry. You can only have a three or two wing. If you're an eight, you can only have a nine or seven wing. And typically, you know, there's a, there's a wing that kind of expresses itself stronger than the other. And a lot of times the older you get, you kind of go from one side to the other and you sort of balance yourself out. So, okay. But yeah. So as a three, you would have to have either the four or the two wing, or those would be your wings. What would you think my wing would be off the top of your head if, if I say I'm a three? Well, I would say if you were an eight, you would have a seven wing because, you you know, it's like you have a lot of those seven tendencies. Um, and sometimes it's hard to tell if somebody's a seven with an eight wing or eight with a seven wing. And sometimes your wing can be almost as dominant as your number in terms of its influence. Uh, he doesn't believe I'm a three either, Derek. <laughs> Motivate. This is why a three resonates with me more because when I, when I sit with myself in quiet and the things that I am afraid of or I long for, I find it's less that I want to be in charge. I want to be admired. So that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. When I look at something, when I really sit with myself and understand the, and I would say the things that I'm longing for, the things that I, what I, how would you describe it? It's probably the unhealthy parts too, I imagine. But I find myself less long. And maybe I don't want to be in control because I just always am in control. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that. I just right. have been at the top of the food chain. I say that, you know, <laughs> because I'm just saying because of what, because of my role and position, yeah. maybe I, maybe I don't, but, but the admired part is what so resonated with me. And yeah. it's kind of harsh. You're like, Oh, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> but I, that probably, if I'm honest, uh -huh. I want, you know, that is what yeah. I'm looking for. All right. So Anthony, I have, listen, I have, a, I have a billion questions, but I want to ask because I have my own, any, like I used to have a strong sense of confidence of my own Enneagram number, but I don't have it. Anymore. It's like dissolved entirely. COVID, COVID uh, yeah, took it out. It COVID. Yeah, well, listen, no, it was a conversation with Margaret. I, I mean, anyways, you know, that's what happens when, so here, but here's my question. When somebody would come into like 
they, they go through the, they go through the process and they kind of come to an awareness. They go, Oh man, I really feel like I resonate with one of these numbers. It feels like it really helps me. What would you encourage them to do with it? Like, so as somebody grows into that awareness, Mm -hmm. what is like the best next steps with that? I mean, the tests are good. Definitely want to read you. And when you're trying to type yourself, you think back typically kind of what you were like in your twenties before, if you've, especially if you've done a lot of personal work, it's going to be harder to, you know, nail down your number because, um, you've grown beyond some of the, hopefully some of the unhealthy sort of places you go to and, and stress. And I'll say, I'll throw this in too. We are all, this is maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we all have this, um, you know, place we gravitate to as we develop our personality but jesus didn't have any of that he didn't have any trappings of his personality and that's why he was so hard to figure out like he never it's like you know you can you can base our response like what our possible response will be because we have these sort of personality structures but jesus didn't have that that's why one time he'd say don't tell anyone that i healed you and another time he'd say go tell everyone uh yeah wow spit you know and then he would like just say be healed it's like you never could like nail him down you never knew what he was going to do next you know because nothing he was doing was unhealthy i I mean would we describe that because he wasn't telling people to go tell because he wanted fame right or he wasn't telling them not to because he was avoiding like is that why you're saying yeah yeah, he wasn't acting out of like this subconscious motivation to fix jesus is in the center of that circle and that's where we're all we're all supposed to be moving toward right it's like we're not it's like one of my friends said recently, your number is a doorway to all the numbers, right? So you, you mm. actually can't access, I believe, like all the different parts of the personality traits, you know, strengths of, of all nine numbers. Okay. You just told me about a three. I'm like, okay, I, I think that's me. I want to be admired. Well, what do I do now? <laughs> like, like, what do I do with that information? Obviously, the good thing is to realize that you're you have this unconscious motivation, right? And what you want to do is as you get like understanding and revelation on, you know, on your motivation, on this unconscious passion of yours, you want to begin to work toward the opposite of that, right? So Mm -hmm. it brings uh, serenity and the virtue into your life. So as a three, the secret passion of the three is vanity, right? It's, it's, um, deceit and you'll uh, the the three wears a lot of different masks um dear lord <laughs> dear, dear lord you're just mean like, <laughs> keep going well this is this is what happens with with an unhealthy three but as you what's a healthy aware, three? are there healthy are there healthy numbers oh, yeah, totally. you can be healthy as a three if that makes sense right, so like yeah. Like you're at your best, you're self-accepting, you're authentic, um, and you you are in a role that really models and like inspires others. But if you don't, then you're then uh, if you're not healthy, you wear different masks. You present like what you think people need, you know, so you, you can be admired. But if you can, if you become aware of that, and you let go of this need to be admired, then what happens is that awareness brings the virtue of integrity in your life, mm-hmm. right? So it uncovers this thing that you, this hidden sort of agenda that you have, then you can take that to God and right. say, okay, I, I have a tendency to wear masks. I was interviewing a woman the other day who was a call girl and um, 
she said when she got saved, she was so used to putting on masks that when she got saved and she came to the church, she just put on the face of Christ like a mask. Wow. And so she was just constantly sort of delivering the image that she thought other people would want to see in order to be admired. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> as you, you know, uncover that and realize that's a strategy of yours that might've worked when you were five or 10 or 15, but what the strategies that you had when you were a child don't serve you well as an adult. And so now you have the option to re-narrate your story by going, yeah. God, you know, what's the truth about me? Yeah. Anthony, I think what, what I love about your saying is because this is what the Enneagram did for me, what was so powerful. And I, and honestly, why I actually think the Enneagram when it's, when it's put into somebody's life in the context of the gospel becomes so powerful because like we were talking about earlier, like, you know, strengths finders and, you know, uh, ENFP, all, all, all these other, you know, the Myers-Briggs, all this other stuff. Yep. It's so helpful to know these parts of you, but what the Enneagram did for me that nothing else has ever done in kind of a personality type context was it actually made me aware of my brokenness uh-huh. and aware yeah. of how I respond in my brokenness, specifically when I'm stressed or when I feel afraid or these certain things. And it gave me crazy awareness of repentance in my life. And suddenly I had this thing of going, Oh, I have language for where I'm not trusting God. I have language for, I don't believe the gospel. I have language for where I'm pulling out of my identity in Christ. And I think it was one of those things. And whenever I, you know, I love the Enneagram. Whenever I see people get strange with the Enneagram, it's, it's actually when they're drifting from the gospel, not necessarily mm-hmm. because of the Enneagram, mm-hmm. but it's that place of going when I, it, it gave me language to actually come near to Jesus and go, I need your help with this. And it, 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 was a, it was a piece of transformation for me that I, honestly, I'm incredibly grateful for. Well, so uh, this is how I'll respond to that. I love that insight, Phil. Like as a four, we talked about fours and had, had a good laugh at the fours expense a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'll tell you a story about myself. As a young man and a four, uh, I had this deep need to be seen and to be known. And I was just sort of this budding worship leader at the time. And I just began to practice uh, learning new songs and I was writing worship songs. And one day I am tucked away in my hidden place, working on my guitar playing and my singing and learning songs, writing songs and worshiping the Lord. And I felt the Lord kind of a nudge and felt as if God was saying to me, Anthony, play that song that you wrote yesterday play me that song. And I was going, play that song for you now. And I felt like the Lord was like, yes. And so I just began to obediently um, follow that nudge, went with what I was getting. And as I began to play that song, I'm telling you, I felt the pleasure of the Lord like I'd never experienced before. And it was like, I understood I was being beheld. I was in the beholding gaze of God. And I was metaphorically looking at him, he was looking at me and that deep need that every human has, but especially the four to be seen and to be known was fulfilled. And guess what? It settled something deep inside of me. You know, our primary identity is supposed to be how God sees us. And of course that is beloved. And secondarily, we derive our identity by how others see us, right? So some of us are faster, stronger, smarter, um, better looking, um, great athletes, whatever it might be. 
And we do derive part of our identity from that, but our primary identity is supposed to be how God sees us, and then secondarily, how others see us and how we see ourselves. So as a young four, I begin to get in the presence of God and experience the beholding gaze of God. And it transformed my life. And my tank was filled up. I came into the knowledge and the understanding that I was seen. And it delivered me from needing to operate in that strategy of doing things to appear unique and special so that others would see me and I'd feel okay about myself. Anthony, let me ask this. And Derek is a four here. And we've been talking about fours. But even as you're talking about the unhealthy part of threes or whatever else, how do we, because again, this tool I think is really beautiful for understanding ourselves understanding, you know, the unhealthy side, the healthy side, but also, and we're talking about this with leadership, that it helps us understand people better. Yeah, Derek and I are extremely different. If I'm called to lead Derek, if I'm called to be on the team with Derek, if we're called to partner together for the cause of Christ, you know, and to build this church together, I want him to thrive and it helps me understand him better. But how do we not just put people in the unhealthy boxes? Like at some level, how do I not just interact with, because some of this stuff does feel like we're just, you're just uncovering, well, that's the unhealthy you. (laughs) And so a lot of what you're describing, I would say, yeah, I think I'm healthy now. I, I, there was, obviously I can, when I'm tired, when I'm stressed, when whatever else, I can kind of fall back in some of that, uh, unhealthy pattern, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, but doing the work with God and all the stuff you're talking about, but how do I not just approach Derek in that way? How do I not just see somebody just in that kind of like unhealthy light? Does that mean, I don't even know if that makes sense what I'm asking. How do you, because this is what nobody wants to be. Nobody wants to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be pigeonholed as an unhealthy three. (laughs) And now everybody's just looking at me going, this is the, I want to be admired part though. This is the, I want people to admire me. Uh, But like, oh, you're just an unhealthy four. Yeah. So the, well, the deal is, is nothing you learn, you want to weaponize. I mean, that's you don't want to weaponize yeah. any tool that you get. So for, for Derek, it would be to know that that is one of his core needs and to be able to speak to that in a way, you know, to echo God, because you do this all the time, Banning, echo God's voice to be a conduit for God to tell him who, that, who he is so that that message and that need is um, strengthened by the spirit of God in his life, you know? Yeah. And and then also it's helpful to know, um, like envy, for instance, which is the passion of the four. It's like the sin of the four, um, the slip into envy because you want to be special and unique and you, and so you want other people's specialness and uniqueness. Uh, well, if you like, for instance, the, the Hebrew way of thinking, if you're in a circle of 10 people and someone has the kind of success that you're hoping for. You're that much closer to your own success. If two, three, four, five mm-hmm. people have um, have the su- kind of success that you're looking for, you're you're five times now more likely to connect to that success because of your the circle that you're in. Our sort of Western mentality is you're taking something from me, like you're stealing something from like your success should be my success. I think like getting revelation on things that are based around your primary passion or sin and in the force case, which is envy, when you get revelation like that, it helps you release the grip of, oh, like you're, like when you get success or when people honor you as unique, you're not taken away from me, right? Um, so it, again, it just, it highlights, it highlights that shadow so that you can have options yeah. to deal with. Uh, it and and get the healing that you need. And I'll say one, <clears throat> this is one sort of 
this is a funny little example. And this happened to me this morning. And I thought about you after when I was driving home, I thought about you banning because of what I did. So my oldest son is a six, 19. My daughter after her, after him is 18. She's a seven. And my youngest is a one. She's 15. So she asked me to drop her off in downtown Franklin here, right? Just down the street. And I'm driving her downtown. She's going to hang with some friends. And I said, okay, here's your task. And she goes, what? I said, I want you to bring home some kind of observation, something you, something funny or something, um, uh, you know, powerful that you observed, something that you learned or bring home some food to me. <laughs> like I gave her a way out. I gave her a way out, right? Well, okay, so Justice, he's my sixth great sense of humor. He would have seen the humor in the fact that I said the food thing, and he would have laughed and said, gotcha, Dad, right? May, as a seven, she would have been up for the adventure. Oh, oh, I can't wait. One of these three things, you know? My, Harley's the one. She's the improver or the perfectionist. She was like, what if I don't see any of those things? Like it immediately <laughs> struck fear in her heart. Like she immediately yes. felt the fear of not being able to, to accomplish this task, you know? So I had to tell her, you're, you know, there, there's no way you can, you know, wreck this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's a perfect example. I drove away going, wow. I thought that I was going to light her up. You know? Yes. And instead I stressed her out. So yes. that's, that's, that's just a little example of when you know your team, when you know your people, the people around you, you know how to reach out to them because, uh, you know, which I did not do a good job of this morning, but you know yeah. uh, how to yeah. how to help them be more effective, you know? Well, Derek, let me ask you this, because yeah. as you've gotten into this, as you've learned more about yourself, but also others, how has it helped your interaction with 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 either teammates or, yeah. or your wife, who Becky, who's a one? Yeah. Becky is the one. Yeah, has, you can pray for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the unhealthy, the unhealthy one aspects. How uh, has it helped you uh, understand more, have grace more? Yeah. Uh, uh, how has it helped you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, actually, I think one of the things that makes the Enneagram so helpful, and it's something that you you teach on all the time, which is when you feel, um, you know, if I if I'm having an issue with being generous, for example, I now have to go in the opposite spirit of that. I'm going to be radically generous. It's similar to like, you know, for the Enneagram for the defense mechanism is I've learned how to be an individualist. I've learned how to pull away from the group, even to my own demise. And so when you begin to recognize that, it's like, yeah, oh, really? So I've never known that about you. You've never once <laughs> yeah. pulled away from the group. I, I'm a, I'm a self-pressed for, <laughs> oh, I hide it and then it's a little obvious. <laughs> yes. So, um, but it's like the, the greatest place of growth then for me is when I can just sit in the room with the team and just be one of the team. I don't need to stand out. I don't have to be different. I don't have, to have special rules, like all the different things that I, I typically am, you know, striving to gain and I've used that to protect my insecurities. All of a sudden, if I can just show up and just be one of the team in the room, just participating, that is where my kind of healthiest self shows up. And then it's kind of like, you know, then there's the gift of, of the Enneagram where I can now look around and, and go, this is why each person sitting at the table is special and, 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 and an individual because I kind of have that lens already. And when I'm not using it as a, as a self-defense tool, all of a sudden it's a bit of a gift. But I also have to go on the opposite of that. So, um, so that's, I mean, that's part of the individual, you know, introspective part that's helpful. But even looking at my wife, you know, so she is an Enneagram one, which, it, you know, to, to caricature her for a second, that means that the standards are really high 
and almost unattainable for herself, for me, for the kids. This is the thing that we that we navigate. Um, you know, when it's not super healthy, we're that's the tension of it. The <laughs> the flip side of that is some of some of the greatest breakthroughs, some of the greatest like pushing me into, you know, the the responsibilities I should be grabbing hold of. Um, really does come for her. Her, it's like the the righteousness that she carries. I mean, this is who that girl is. She's the person who's going to be like, I'm up at seven and I'm reading the word. And there's a part of that that she she locks her teeth in and she's not going to let go. But yeah. it also can be this incredible inspirational call to the good. And it and it allows you to see it through. I guess probably there's a compassion there. Yeah. Where her being an Enneagram one, there's a deep wrestle there. Like she's conflicted by some of those standards. Do you have compassion for her in that space? And at the same time, um, it, it's she's a deeply inspirational yeah. person. So, and then I think you see that across the board with all the different numbers. And 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 then that was one of the things, Anthony. I think you could speak to tremendously is it helps you individually. It. It definitely helps you in your intimate relationships, oh, um, but it also has this ability to probably for all of us as leaders and leading teams, if you knew the types of your people, you're probably going to have a pretty good perspective on who should be where, who needs what, you know, it's where there's just kind of layers to, to the utility of yeah. the tool. I think one of the things is, is that, um, you have to, I, I think I've been around leaders who just flat out read the situation wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And so then they're responding. They read the person wrong. They read the situation wrong. And they're responding that way because they're filtering it through their own lens. Right. They're filtering it through whatever. So even I loved, Anthony, what you're talking about, you got an eight who's talking in a way that you're like, dude, are you about to throw punches? But no, I, I, I understand how you operate. I understand your needs. Uh, somebody, there's so many times when I'm with even a husband and wife and stuff where they just assume this is what's going on, not knowing like, no, right. like you have, like this situation stress, what Anthony said about it is, this situation stresses you out. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, and, and so if I can read that situation properly, I'm not going to diagnose it. Or I'm not going to go like, well, I tell you why, because you're arrogant. Because you just <laughs> right. want this, because you just yes. want this, because yep. you want this, rather than going, no, I actually understand what's going on in there. Right. And um I think it's I think it's important. I think we we get into so many problems because we just misread yeah. and misdiagnose situations. And I even think this is such a common just thing we do in life in general, but leaders do this all the time. I know I've done it so many times, is that we just assume how we would respond to something is how somebody else is gonna respond to something. And I even know for me, right, like I'm I I I don't thrive with details. If you want to give me something, you gotta give me some freedom to be able to do it, right? So I assume that other people want that same freedom. And so I, I actually feel like sometimes if I'm giving one of my leaders a task and I give them too many details, I'm robbing them from something I would want. But I like one of my favorite leaders, incredible leader who's a one on our team. When I, when I invite her to lead something, but I don't give her enough clarity and details, it feels like I give her anxiety. I feel like I, she feels like I'm setting her up to fail because she really does want to just do what I'm asking you to do. She wants to do it with excellence and she wants to thrive at it. And if I go, Hey, do this, but I don't actually. So in my mind, this is what happens in my mind. I'm loving her by not giving her too many details because I'm giving her what I would want, which is freedom. But in her life, I'm setting her up to fail because what she's longing for is to know how to, how to do this the way I'd love for her to do it because she really wants to honor me and do it with excellence. And it's so funny. So two people, 
that are trying to bless each other get caught and that happen. I mean, so for us, even in leadership, having those Enneagram tools to go, oh, when, I, when I'm dealing with Jenny, mm-hmm. I actually need to make sure if I'm inviting her into a task, I sit down, I walk through it with her. I tell her everything that I would love for it to be. I tell her where I want her to have freedom, where I think she should have freedom. I tell her where I need certain things. It's crazy how it's changed so many of those dynamics. That's beautiful. Yeah. Because I feel like I accidentally, I thought I was helping people. It's so funny when you feel like you're serving somebody and then you're having a meeting about how how you hurt them. (laughs) That's happened so many times. Totally. That's the truth, isn't it? They have, I think, um, I remember Mike Bickle one time said, he said, when you're dealing with people, you have to figure out, is that immaturity or rebellion? Mm-hmm. because if it's immaturity, I'm going to approach it one way. If it's rebellion, I approach it another way. So lots of times yeah. when leaders are coming to me and they, they got somebody bucking this, whatever else, you know, I'm like, we well, just got to stop. Is that immaturity or rebellion? But it's a similar kind of feel here where you have to stop for a second and go, what is that that's going on? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, this isn't necessarily translate to Enneagram, but if that's immaturity, well, then I am approaching that a certain way. If it's rebellion, I'm approaching it. So when we approach immaturity as rebellion, it's just problematic. And I think the same way. Sometimes people are responding, they're reacting, they're frustrated, they're drowning. And if I don't read that situation right, then it's like I'm coming at an immature person as if they're rebellious. When that's yeah. not, and, and that, that won't solve anything. Yeah. Anthony, yeah. Uh, listen, I want to talk a little bit about, because we're going uh, to wrap up pretty soon. Two quick things. I want to talk about an app you're doing, but this Enneagram, you guys actually have a podcast called Typology, um, which I did not know why it's called Typology until today as you were talking and you were talking about typing. I'm like, oh, that's why it's called <laughs> Typology. I could not figure out why. Uh, the right. play on theology. Okay, anyways, but um, so they have a podcast that you're doing called Typology. Yeah, it's called Typology, uh, hosted by Ian Cron, who wrote a book, The Road Back to You, and I produce and co-host with him. Um, we put an episode out every Thursday. Really, really helpful podcast. Okay, they can check that out. The other thing, Anthony, is you've got an app that you've worked on. I would love to hear about that. Here's the reason why I trust you in this conversation, mm-hmm. because I know that you are actually about helping people get healthy. You're helping people get healthy. You're helping people connect in, in an authentic, deeper way with God. You are pointing people to Jesus. You are pointing people to a deeper, richer relationship with God and, and just a, a richer experience in life. Um, mm. so, so I'm saying that's why I kind of trust you in this conversation. But because of that passion of yours, you've actually been developing resources and different things. Can you just tell us about what you've been doing? Absolutely. And thank you, Banning. I really appreciate your trust in me, and it's definitely reciprocated. We've known each other our whole adult lives, and uh, I love you all. I love the work that you're doing, and that's why it's such an honor and privilege for me to be on this podcast with you. So regarding the app, and thanks for the question, it's called Shema Way, and that's S-H-A-M-A-H Way, Shema Way. It can be found in the Apple App Store and Google Play. I'll say up top, it's a devotional centering prayer, meditation, and journaling app all rolled into one. Super excited about this. It's something I've been working on for a couple of years with my good friend, Jake Smith Jr. We've already had many reports of this being radically transformational for people who have engaged with it. So again, it's just really exciting to share this app. So again, it's called Shema Way, and it's based around this idea that when Jesus was asked, what is most important in life? He said, 
to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when he said this, he was actually quoting a scripture passage in Deuteronomy that is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so again, when Jesus replied to this question, what is most important in life? He gave this answer. And when he did, he let us know something very important. And that is that our spiritual anatomy is made up of these four systems, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We all have a heart system, a soul system, a mind system, and a strength system. Now the data says, this is interesting, that we typically live out of one or maybe two at the most of these four systems our whole lives. So here in the West, it's typically, we live mind to strength. We get a concept and we go put it into practice. A lot of sermons are based on this. A lot of teaching and training and Bible studies are based around this mind to strength. You grab a concept and go do it. Uh, so the data says we, we typically live out of one or two of these our whole lives. And if that is the case, that means we're only living out of 25 or 50% of our capacity of our spiritual makeup. And of course, we want more than that. And one more interesting thing about Jesus's response is his order wasn't random. He always started with heart. And I think that's just really, really fascinating. So anyway, we took this response of Jesus when he was asked what's most important in life, and we've created an app built around his response. And again, as I said earlier, it's a devotional centering prayer, meditation, and journaling app all rolled into one. And you can use it on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet. Every day, there are brand new 10 and 20-minute audio guides that you can listen to while you go through the app. Or there's a selection where you can just choose to listen to music only, or you don't have to have any music at all. And one of the really cool things is you can just go with the audio guide if you like. The other day, I was speaking at Lipscomb University. I jumped on the interstate and I put on the 20-minute audio guide and just did the whole process as I was driving to the university. So there are just limitless ways to access it, whether you're taking a walk, working out, driving your car, or you're at home in your quiet place. It's like you said earlier, it helps you connect to all four of these heart, soul, mind, and strength and live out of this deep connection with God yourself and others. So just super, super excited about the app. Thanks for letting me share it with your folks. I'd love for everybody to go download it, check it out. You actually get a seven-day free trial, so it's completely risk-free to give it a shot. So thanks again for letting me tell your folks about it. And thanks so much for having me on the Jesus Culture Podcast. I love you guys. I'm a big fan of you all. Love being with you. So thanks so much. Well, Anthony, we sure appreciate you taking time. Absolutely love that you've kind of invested your life in helping people. I actually have gone through that process with that app that you've talked about. And this is probably a whole nother podcast about really recognizing what's going on inside of you is really helpful for me and beautiful. So make sure you check that out, get on Google or the app store. Uh, but we sure appreciate you taking time just to be with us today. Thanks for doing that. Thank you, Banning, Derek, Phil, for having me on. It's been a privilege. Well, you can check that out. Again, go check it all out online as well. Don't forget World Vision and uh, check out their chosen program. 